All right, we're here with Andrew, and of course he knows it's dedication time, so guest gets to dedicate it. What would you like to dedicate this episode to? I'm going to dedicate this episode to my mom, because today's yeah. her birthday. Get so, out of here, really? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I sent her a text, which is horrible, horrible son. So I sent her a text, so I'm going to, like, as soon as this podcast <laughs> yeah. is over, I've like, got to get on the phone and call, because, you know, uh, just so that it's not, I'm not like one of those kids. So, yes. So I'd like to, happy birthday, mom. So. All right. Happy birthday. <laughs> We're here with Andrew Hunt. How you doing, Andrew? Good. I'm doing great. Does anybody have problems? I, I like to talk about names first and everything. Yeah. Does anybody have problems with the last name? Hunt? Yeah. Pretty easy one. Um, right. But I, ironically, like, very few people call me Andrew. Usually yeah. it's Andy. All right. Or, yeah. um, like, my ex-wife has got a lot of other names for me. Um, uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. so it, it's funny because, yeah. like, uh, you know, my students and people that know me call me right. Andy. My mom will call me and. Um, uh, and Andrew, yeah. it just feel weird because anytime I hear Andrew, it, it makes me feel like an adult and yeah. it's kind of like, I don't feel like an adult. And yeah, I, we just had a previous guest, um, Jennifer talked yeah. about that. How, you know, she talked about, she liked to be, maybe she wants to come back Jenny because yeah. she feels old now. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Call me Jenny. Stuff. Yeah. yeah like, it's, Andy. it's, it's just, I think it's, it's, it's weird because like, you know, when you have like, if someone whose name is like Bobby or Timmy or, or, right. you know, or Joey and you kind of go, and then as you're an old, an adult Bobby is but it yeah. makes sense for some I think right. the one thing that I love about like you know I'm not some that ego thing but the thing I do like about my name is that there's different variations of my name so you know right. like uh so people that like some people have called me Drew there's people that call me Andy or Andrew so it's kind of cool that it's almost like I'm uh you know um and I, I even look at this when I'm writing characters you know yeah. I try to find names for characters and scripts that right, you yeah. know like Samantha like you know uh, the mom might say Samantha the friends might say Sam the grandfather might say Sammy so it's like just a yep. name gives you a different type of relationship like how different yeah. people interpret your name if that makes sense no no especially for writing like characters like yeah. you got to have something that kind of meshes with their personality a little mm -hmm. bit it's kind of just it's a hard game you know it's something and you want a unique name yeah you want something that's not like overly out there but something that's kind of grounded a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's interesting because like for example my dad's name is frank and you know i don't know anyone my age named frank i, I, saw, I think i'm just thinking like frank hunt should be like baking baked beans <laughs> no totally totally <laughs> frank hunt's beans you know it's good stuff um uh but um and but it's funny because yeah. nowadays you're seeing kids that are like you know five or six years old with the name frank you know, right, or, it comes back a little bit. It does, yeah. you know, or right. like the name Jack, you know, or, you, you know, it's really interesting that you see some of these names, these like timeless names that you like, like in our generation, we hear a lot of Sean's. There's oh, yeah, a lot mind, of mind. Everybody had a friend, Nick. Right? Yeah, Nick. Yeah, exactly. but here, see, Nick, it's funny because Nick is and I'm not blowing smoke. Nick is also one of my favorite names for characters because you've got Nick, Nicholas, Nikolai, right. um, uh, Nikki. But it can also be like a bad and a good. Exactly. Nick, Nick has got a really interesting, the thing that I like about Nick is you can't, 
you don't know if Nick's a good guy or a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, I mean, yeah. so it, you know, and it's one of those things that, we'll, that I'll talk about where it's like if you've got a name that's got a hard consonant at the end, like Jack, Nick, Frank, it just it's a, it's a stronger, more it's a tougher name. Yeah. But you know, and, and not that I'm making fun of anyone with the name like you know, um, uh, like Eli or Isaiah or but it's like a softer name. And so when you're like writing and you're coming out with a character and you try to figure out what kind of name to give them, right. it's sometimes um, Eli is a great name for a, a, a character because maybe this person thinks that the world's bigger than they are. So yeah. if that makes sense. You no, know? It, it, I, I don't know if you remember the movie On the Waterfront. Yeah, yeah. With Marlon Brando. Yeah. And Marlon Brando's name is Terry in the movie. Okay. And if you think about it, Terry's a boy and a girl's name. Exactly, yeah. And he wanted that name because here's a character that's working both sides. He's a good guy and a bad guy. He yep. wanted that complexity. That's why he really wanted to... He's like, I think my guys should have like a guy girl name, like yeah. a, like a Terry or something. See, and it's yeah. interesting because when I usually write female characters, I usually give them kind of like that unisex name. Like I love Samantha is my favorite name ever. So a lot of my characters, like there's been friends of mine that will like read a script and the script I write, and they're like, oh great, yeah, her name's Samantha. I'm like, yeah, it's either Samantha, Alex, or nowadays it's like Max. You know, like Maxine, or you know, and right, I, and I yeah. love, I do love those names where um, Alex is another one. I really like um, those names that could go boy or girl. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. It well, like the it's a popularity you now. I've seen a lot of more girls are named Ryan. You know, yeah, and, and, which is heavily dominant for guys. And yep. But um, you talk about how things get recycled. I picked up my niece, and she's a little bit older. She's high school now, but when she was in kindergarten, I went to pick her up for school. It was comical because there was all grandma names, Hazel, Ruth, Evelyn, you know, <laughs> and Ruby. And I was like, this is, they're all coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, exactly, exactly. There's a Martha, you yeah, know, like a three-year-old Martha. You're yeah. like, what fucking three-year-old is named Martha? Right. You know, I'm, uh, she's you making know, cookies already. She's yeah. <laughs> it's like, where is your uh, three-year-old child, Martha? Well, where do you think? If you got the name Martha, you're either quilting or making cookies. So, um, uh, but no, that's, I, it is, it's cool. And it, it's, I'm, I'm kind of glad that, you know, you, you know, some of the other names were kind of like, um, kind of popular, like, I don't know, like maybe like 10 years ago yeah. is like some names started to come up like, um, and boy, and I don't really want to say any because if anyone's listening, to right, it, I don't want to, and yeah. their name is like autumn. And, but I mean, but you know, it's, it's interesting where like, you know, um, I think what, what I like about some of the classical names is that it allows the person who owns that name to create their own identity for that name. Right. Yeah. You know, when a parent wants to go, well, I want we want to be really creative with our child's name and we want to name him like, you know, um, uh, Dallas, you know, and again, nothing wrong with Dallas. I'm not, but I'm just saying that it's, it's not it, as common. It's not, it's weird because it's like, you know, and, um, you know, and it's funny cause I know a, a photographer named Dallas and she's amazing. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm being, I'm like walking to fucking find what uh, you're going to get another text I, message. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> but it, it's it's kind of like when you got some of these these uh, these classical names, it allows the person who is living that name to identify and to define what that name is. Sure. And you know, and I think that sometimes when you know, um, but at the same time, my editor that I work with, his oldest daughter's name Story, and I think that is a great name for a, a kid. You know, um, so it's I'm a total hypocrite right now because sometimes I'll go. I like the classical names, um, but at the same time, when somebody let's get, let's get a little creative, man. get yeah, get creative without getting too creative, you know. Because I think sometimes when you know, like when I'm doing casting, like uh, auditioning you little kids, and you know, you get some names that you're going, my 
God, that kid's got a lot to, you know, yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a big name for an eight year old, you know, but especially um, when you do class, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, uh, so it's basically, it's a really interesting thing because, you know, um, you know, it, it's one of those, it's one of those things that a lot, a lot goes into a name and even like with my students if like they're writing the script and they're like well we never say the person's name so in the script it's guy walks in the store guy goes over and i'm like no no no. always give the character a name so we can at least identify sure we, i like that idea. we can't yeah. identify like man walks in the room man sits down man turns on television it's yeah. like i don't know who this guy is but if you're just saying you know like paul comes into the room paul sits down ball turns on now it's not a man it's not just a guy it's Paul so it's 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 more identifiable and you know yeah. and um, and so like I said even like with a lot of the stuff that I do you never hear the characters say practically anything so and and if I do write any dialogue I'm not gonna waste time saying somebody's name if it's not important um, but in the script they always have a name like you know um, and uh, and I, I just find it's just it's easier for, for us to connect with I and we can continue on with this uh, but um, yeah as soon as I watch a movie and as soon as I'm done I always think can I remember the lead character's name yeah and sometimes I can't yeah but is that really important but yeah. sometimes in a movie it very much is right yeah and and you know the thing that drives me crazy and I agree 100% because yeah. like if you watch a movie and you're like is it really important what um, this actor's name was Ethan Hawke's name in this movie. No, you know, it's almost, it's more important what his occupation or what his agenda is than yeah. what his actual name is. Um, I really love it when you have people, and this happens to us every once in a while, where you have to write a line where somebody's saying somebody's name that is clearly... It just feels like I need to tell you who this guy is, you know, sure. or even better. My favorite is, you know, when I have to establish that these two are siblings. And so the one character has to look at the other character and yeah. go, man, you know, as your brother, I really think you should. And I'm like, yeah. my brother and I have never talked no. and said, you know, as your brother, I think you should pull your head out of your ass. You know, um, it's <laughs> as just your like, oldest brother. Yeah, yeah. As your oldest. I always go, dude, pull your head out of your ass. And I find that if you have two grown adults that are vicious to one another the audience is watching it's going to go oh they're related <laughs> you know right the more vicious i can see that yeah because yeah. they're gonna like strangers or good like really good friends can talk to each other that way but like if they're just absolutely vicious to one another the only people that can talk to to one another like yeah. that is siblings you know so so you teach a class could you tell us what the class is yeah i um i teach over at ipr and i teach uh, film production and then uh writing as well and so um so it's basically uh they're two separate classes well yeah no i teach a variety of different classes like okay. i um I'm one of the lead instructors when it comes to production. So yeah. students come in and when they first get me, they're basically, they've learned the kind of basics on all the equipment in the studio. Yeah. And then they get me and we start talking about camera and composition and, you know, um, and what, uh, basically what I try to do is I try to eliminate the whole idea that directing and filmmaking is magic. 
because the one thing that drives me crazy and um, is when like if I've done panels and stuff like that and you have yeah. some directors that are on the panel and they they're like well you just have to feel and know and it's like it's all bullshit you know because it's like there's a formula and it's not that you're discounting or discrediting what you do no right but, but it's like you know like it's the same thing with everything all the comics and all the illustrations here there's a certain color palette there's a certain type of composition there's a yeah. certain type of framing that will uh, that will equal an emotion so and, and and it's not just one path it's not like oh if you want to create loneliness you have to do it this way um, right. but right. what I like to, it's always in the rain right yeah you know exactly and it's always got to be black or it's always got to be like dark blues and grays yeah. you know I mean you know but the thing is is that you know what I like to do is I like to dissect how to shoot something where it's a um, lenses specific lenses will mean a certain thing yeah. specific types of comp uh, composition camera movement um, blocking and so you really like I, I really want like um, with my students and everything I really want to just kind of demystify. pull the curtain over and say look this is not really magic this no, is this is this is reality of it. Yeah, right? yeah, it's I, you know, and I, I, you know, I like to look at myself as a humble craftsman in what I do. And what I like to describe is I like to say that, look, I use science and technology to capture art because what? the only yeah. thing I mean, when you're on a film set, everything is pre-designed. Like I know where the camera's going to be. I know the lens that we're going to use. I know the lighting that we're going to do. I know what the art direction is. I know, I know what the actor is going to be possibly be doing. Um, yeah. The art is going to come from the actor, you know, because like for me, I've had weeks upon weeks to talk with cinematographers or production right, designers. Right, the whole crew assembling and a whole everything. Yeah. To build everything, you know, yeah. like, but it's like we're, we're built, we, we're bringing all these different toys in and we're setting them up, but it's the actor in that moment that yeah. I find is the art. If that makes sense, because oh, yeah. you can't program that. You know, I mean, there's some actors that will argue with me and go, Andy, all I got to do is think of my dead dog and I could cry, you know, and I go, well, I don't know. How, yeah. I, and I all the all the alimony. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys are a magical unicorns because I don't know how the hell these actors can do it. But, you know, but I, I look at it is that we are, you know, um, and, and I, find, I find it incredibly funny that you're spending sometimes hundreds of hours preparing for one day of shooting you know <laughs> oh, yes, so yes, you're you're yes. spending you're spending like maybe 80 hours for 12 i, I can i relate to the comic book because you can spend three days on a page absolutely three days of getting all the little yep. you know and, and, and then it's gonna what somebody's gonna read it for like five seconds or yeah <laughs> because it's yeah. kind of like it's especially when you like when you explain to them the uh, you know that okay first there's the the pencils and then there's the ink and then there's color and then after color then we move to dial or the word dialogue and then so it's like it's it's you've got from art to like graphic design on like okay the writing can't be too much because I've only got this much real estate on this one yeah. panel yes. to get this much information you know and so when you walk someone through and I actually had a chance to to work with a comic book artist on like uh, 12 pages of um, uh, he was a, and I'm blanking on his name but he was one of the artists that did Peter Panzer and um, okay. uh, and so when when I was sitting there studying how to write for comic books because it's so different it, it it's it's very similar to filmmaking but it's very different right the there's no way. there's no sound there's no sound you know and there's no pacing because that's why comic books look like it's intense action because there's no quiet right? yeah yeah there's no, no moment of you can hold the scene or whatever. Right? And yeah. it's not like I got 24 frames a second. I got yeah. one frame 
that covers this piece of information and then but it's and but I think at the end of the day and you look at like comic books or you look at films or you look at writing or you look at anything in a narrative structure it's all when do you give the information to the audience how much do you give you know and then once you give that piece of information it's like don't repeat it move to the next piece of information and you know so it's very strange because as much as I love the whole artistry of of, of what everybody does in filmmaking yeah. there is a formula and um, and again I, and I embrace it and I go okay um, you know you know and the cool thing is is that it's the formula but it's not telling you how the story needs to unfold you know it's it's not telling you that you have to do it this way, you know, no, right? Yeah, it's just kind of like, you know, here's here's the room, paint it however you want, yep. make it you. Um, and at the end of the day, the audience will walk into that room and go, yeah, I know what a room looks. I know what a room feels or looks like, but they've never been in your room. You know what I mean? And so when they walk in that room and they go, oh, wow, I've never looked at a room this way before. No, right. Especially yeah. when they're right. OK, he enters an apartment. Yeah. There's still varieties of. But I wanted in my mind, I wanted a plain and simple, boring. Yep. And it's hard to explain to people. But once you draw, you go, now I get it. I yep. wanted like something that's subtract of any kind of intimacy like a mm -hmm. home to it yeah and you can't just write it on a page and friends you have to kind of show it to people well yeah. no and, yeah. and you know and the funny thing is is that like i'll even like have this conversation with like with students or with other writers is that sometimes a uh, writers want to over explain on the page when they're writing like exactly. the guy yep. the guy yep. walks into the room and we see that there is you know a refrigerator on the left and there's and they they they, they so badly want the audience to see exactly what they're seeing and then, and then I'll, you get bored with it totally you, yeah. well my question is like how important is the refrigerator in the room and they go well, it's not really important, but I want, I'm like, right. how important is the dresser? I'm like, so is this person an absolute slob? And they're like, well, yeah. I'm like, okay, well then describe it as guy walks in a room, yeah. his room's a fucking disaster, yeah. you know? And then that's all you need to write, you know? Because then the audience, when they're reading that script, they're going to put their own interpretation of what is a disaster to them. So even you saying like a very boring room. A very boring room to maybe to me is fulfilling. Yeah, yeah it's, right. it's completely ah, different yes, than yeah. a boring room to you. Yeah. And so, um, so it's so it's this really weird thing. But then when you get to the physicality of it, that we need to show it. Now we need to know, okay, if a boring room, are we looking at like Ed Norton from Fight Club where everything is very Ikea like catalog? Yeah, yeah. You know? Clean, to, yeah. yeah. See, I'm like one of these minimalists where it's like one chair, a desk, and a lamp. And I'm I like, wish it could be. I'm like, yeah. great. My girlfriend, on the other hand, it's like, <laughs> no, it's, uh, we've got to have color and art all over the place, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, so it, it's really everyone's definition <laughs> of like what is what, but you give them that opportunity to put their own idea of what something is in before you visualize it you know so, do you do primary write screenplays or have you done like a novel or? well i've um everything that i've written i've written for the for the intention to direct you okay. know like gotcha. i i um it's funny i love to write but i write out of necessity because uh i think the thing is that i always love telling stories when i was a kid and so and and very particular stories like i i love um uh you know, I, I kind of say this is it's going to sound really weird to make me sound like I'm schizophrenic or something. But um, when I write, I've got like three critics in my head that I have to appeal to and, and please um, sure, in order sure. for me to really invest my time. And one is the adult, which I need. A, I need a story that is emotionally satisfying. 
whether that is about family or revenge or hate, hate or love or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's got to have yeah. something that I can emotionally sink my teeth into. Um, and then there's the poli sci major who is like, it's got to be about like, we got to be commenting on something. Now, yeah. the poli sci major, we put all the way in the back and we bury him so it's not preachy. But it's just that we're making some type of commentary about something. Um, we're always in the background on that okay. one. And then the right. third one is the 12-year-old. And he wants to see shit blow up. He wants to see monsters. <laughs> and he wants to play. Right. And yep. so when, you know, um, like a film that I just did um, uh, about three or four months, oh, three months ago that we did for the Z-Fest thing called Frostbite. Yes. Like yeah. we, okay. you know. Talk to you about yeah, it. Yeah, that, yeah. that was like my 12-year-old, uh, you know, it's funny. Like yeah. the, the adult is like, oh, it's a story about family. You know, the poli sci made is going oh it's it's about a specific type of archetype and how things are being laid out in the 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 apocalypse the 12 year old goes zombies you know and then you you know and so um so i've always been you know um and and i also love playing with genres that have been some people think that it's kind of like like dead you know like the beautiful thing about if you make a zombie movie differently you don't have to show the zombie apocalypse. George Romero did that. Zack Snyder did that. World War Z. There's a million zombie apocalypse. The Walking Dead. Like I don't have to show you that because you've already seen that a million times. So now I'm going to show you something different. And like the same thing with like an alien invasion or anything like that. You know, that's no the, right. It's like um, I don't know if you remember the famous director John Landis. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and his son was going to start, you know, movies, and he goes, yeah. "Well, what's the rules for vampires?" And his son lists all the rules for vamp. What's the rules for werewolves? Yep. And what's the rule for zombies? And he, and then he goes, "The hell with you. There's no, there don't exist. Make up your own rules." Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like you know, and this is totally not like a. I'm not. There's no spoilers or whatever. But like in Avengers Endgame, when they're talking about time travel. You know, and then they, yeah, yeah, and they mentioned Back to the Future, and someone goes, "Are you actually basing time travel on the movie Back to the Future?" Like, because it doesn't work like that. And the beautiful thing is, you don't have to explain it. All you have to say is, guys, it doesn't work like Back to the Future. Right, so it, your own rules. Right? Yeah, it's and so you know you do that, and and I think um and, and that's the great thing is that you can take, you know um like for example, zombies is that you can um like in our even in our story. You know, I wanted them to be almost feral where it's like if you have more, if you have one or two zombies, they're very territorial. So they're almost like two dogs fighting over a bone. Um, and then we would have the conversation of going, well, what happens when there's 30 of them? I'm like, well, then they start to act like a collective, like a hive. Like they're just like a, you right. know, this, this, this 30, these 30 that are just moving as one. But when there's like one or two of them, you can play like they don't know who's the alpha, so they're kind of like feeling. Yeah, they're each other like out. lost the uh, electrons. They just don't know where the center is. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's a, that's a great answer. I mean, right. and you know, I'm gonna steal that when I'm when <laughs> when people go, well, why do they? Well, I'm like, guys, like electrons, and then I'm gonna walk out of the room like like I'm like you know they they should know that shit, you know, um, and they you know, but but that's yeah. the that's the beautiful thing about yeah. like when you look at vampires, you look at you look at anything that's got this lexicon that's got this canon. It doesn't mean like yeah. oh shit. You know, we can only uh, we we can only do X, Y, and Z for werewolves or with vampires, and it's like, no, you don't. You can make the rules up. Yeah, yeah. And, and and but I think you need to base the rules a little bit. In no, I say ground them a little. Bit. Exactly. Yeah. So everybody knows where you got your. Yeah. yeah. But it's like you know the only thing it's like, and I'm you know like the only problem that I had, and granted, I haven't seen any of these movies. I've only seen the trailers, and when yeah. you see vampires during the day, like Twilight, and you're like, see, that's that's the one rule you really can't break. You know. 
the, the they're in the dark. That's right. yeah. that you know. And so when you start bringing them out in sunlight or in the woods, and there's I don't buy that at all. You know. So that's that's so it's like you have to you got to go with some bit. rules, but there's others you can right because totally I always I always foster the idea, especially with the class, present something new. Don't something. Yeah. Everybody's already seen before. Present yeah. something new. A new way of new way of killing somebody. A new way of a new kind of serial killer. Something that we can latch on to that's new. And I think that's what's interesting about No Country for All Men. The guy had a weird tool to kill people. Oh yeah, yeah. Like that he was... had that silencer on the shotgun and then the the the, the bolt that, yeah. you know. Um and I love that like halfway through the movie, like I think it was Tommy Lee Jones goes, you know, they got this new way of killing cattle nowadays where they just put the bolt. And he's saying exactly the weapon that Sugar's using, yeah. but they're not connecting it together, you know? And it's, yeah. you know, um, yeah, see, that that kind of stuff. And see, this is where I then will then push back to, like, you know, either it's, like, you know, other filmmakers or um, uh, it's, like, look, you don't have the budget to get Brad Pitt. Or to get, or to hell, even get like, you know, any pit, maybe. Um, uh, you know, so the originality has to come from the story. If right. the, if your movie's about somebody killing somebody, do it differently than, you know, there's nothing that kind of upsets me. You're not upsets me, but I'm sitting there and I'm watching like a short film and I go, God damn it, you know, do it differently, you know? And, and because yeah. you can't. And, and, and especially for me, and I've watched a lot of movies, and I say, it's hard. I've seen this before. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, is that if you're answering that question when you're in the writing phase, you know, I've yeah. seen this before, then you need to come up with another angle to do that scene. Right. And you need to keep, like, it's almost like the first three ideas that you have about how a character does something in a scene, you've seen before. So the first idea, throw it out the window, because that has been done a million so times. It's almost like making the first pancake exactly right <laughs> then you, then you move to the next pancake and you're going okay this one's a little different yeah. but i still have seen this in different shapes of uh, you know different various um, yeah. shapes throw that one away when you get to the third or fourth one that's when it starts to get interesting you know and it's this is i'm super geeking out here but i mean i was yeah. listening to this podcast about chess masters and how the first 25 or 30 moves that these grand chess masters do it's all been pre-planned. So if you move the pawn to this one yeah. particular, and as an, as somebody as an avid chess player, yeah, I know with the first move what kind of player you are. Yeah, and I automatically knew what the game's going to be. But these, yeah. like these chess masters, they yeah. will be basing history off every chess game ever played. <laughs> yes. So if you move yeah. your piece here, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go the Straczynski method, and yeah. so I'm going to counter that. And then you see that counter, and go, oh, well, I'm going to do the Bolshevik method. And mm -hmm. so the first 25 moves. You and I are playing somebody else's game. It's not until like the 26th or 27th move. And again, I'm not a chess person, but no, this these interviews, it comes, right. it's when they realize, wait a minute, this is a completely new game that has never been played before because there's what, billions of different variations of yeah. moves that you can do in chess. So it's kind of the same way with storytelling. It's like, you know, the, you know, and, and they- but, First well, 10 pages is something we've or, all kind of seen before. Yeah, yeah. Or, or just kind of like, you know, uh, like you, the first idea, like, just how do you get rid of a body, you know? And the first way we've seen X, Y, and Z before. Okay, don't do that. Then let's try it differently. Let's do something instead of instead of burying them, maybe we're going to drop them off a bridge. Well, I've seen that before. Okay, maybe we're dropping them off a canyon. Well, I've seen that before. Okay, and so now all of a sudden, you're, the drop is no longer maybe, um, you know, maybe I'm dropping them through a garbage chute in a really nice apartment complex. You know, you start to, yeah. like 
really get very specific about what you're going to do differently because you've got this entire like history of storytelling behind you uh, and, and of showing every, of everybody them doing it their way you know like Tarantino you torture a guy cuts a guy's ear off you know well that you haven't really seen that in a movie before he could have cut the guy's finger off he could have cut his nose yeah, off right. but he went with the ear and you know and um and so it's one of those things where I think it's it's like a real challenge to for writers like I'm probably more vicious with writers in this town or directors than I am with anybody because I'm like this is you're sitting in a dark room in front of a computer screen you have all the time in the world to come up with something different you know and when you just deliver the same old same old it to me tells me that you wanted to get the writing done quickly so you could go into production so you can start shooting it. And I get yeah. that. No, but, right. Everybody has that speed up moment like, oh my God, I'm getting all excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've been taught many times with that excited mode, take a, take a break. Yeah, take Stop. a break. Exactly. And yeah. get honest feedback, you know, yeah, and yeah. bring your project in and go, what do you think? And if they're like, well, dude, I've seen this from this movie or I've, you know, this yeah. is kind of like, anytime I hear, hear someone go, this is kind of like, I, like an alarm goes off in my head where I'm like, okay, how similar is it? You know, right. and, and am I doing almost the same thing that this person's doing? And if I am, well, then I have to completely change it because I can't do the same thing someone else has done. It's got to be different. different it's got to be new. Yeah. Bring something new always to the table. It's the only yeah. way you are going to continually advance, I think, as a storyteller, because at the end of the day, if you continue to do this, people want to see how you tell the story, yeah. not like, oh, this is a vampire movie. Like, how do you tell a vampire story? Like, how do you tell a crime story? Like, and, and you know, it's the interpretation. It's, it's like every single one of these artists, these illustrators and these comic books that are on your walls here. It's like, I want to see what happens when Dave McKean draws the Joker. Yeah. You know, like, or I want to see, like, that's the yeah. I want to make see your how, own, right? Exactly, you right, know. Right. And so that it's it's your own interpretation of a story that we've seen a million times, yeah. but we haven't seen it this way because this is the first time you're telling it. Nice, yeah. Nice. All right, we're gonna take a little break and more with um, Andrew Hunt. He's the critic. He's the comic. And that's the gimmick. It's the Dare Daniel podcast, where film critic Daniel Barnes and comedian Corky McDonald do your dirty work by watching the worst movies imaginable. Know of a movie so bad you have to share it? A film with a bad rap you've always been curious about? An underrated bit of cinema you'd love to hear discussed? Or are you a great big fat person? Whatever the case, we happily accept your most sadistic or altruistic dares. Every Tuesday we release a full-length episode of Cinematic Stunt Work. And every Thursday an action-packed mini-episode featuring previews, general movie discussion, and your movie dares. Plus beer. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, our website, daredaniel.com, and anywhere fine podcasts are burnished and proffered. And make sure to check out our sister pod, Serious Talk Seriously and Graphic Novel Explorers Club, for more quality Sacramento podcasts. When was it, when did it click to like um, I'm gonna do this? Yeah, I mean, I think basically it was. I always loved telling stories. Like you know, when I was a kid, um, I, I find that you know, 
I was either going to probably get into either filmmaking or politics because the problem is is that when you're um, eight or nine years old and you have an incredibly crazy imagination, um, you're a really good liar. And I, I remember like even coming to school one day and telling all my friends that I actually saw episode one, two, and three of Star Wars. And this is back like, you know, in the like mid eighties when like <laughs> all we had was like Star Wars, Empire, and Jedi, you know? And people are going, wait a minute, you, how did you see the first three? I'm like, well guys, don't you see like in, you know, it says episode four, you know, you guys, oh, you guys didn't see the first three? And I literally came up with this entire, like that I watched these movies movies I mean, <laughs> you know like how darth you Vader, just convinced yeah, I, yeah. I just convinced everyone that i had seen these movies and i'm just completely telling them these stories speaking of do you ever seen because um they did a comic book of the original draft of star wars did you see this one no 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 the original where luke skywalker is actually a general really it's all more militant and everything oh before, that's kind of cool before he um lucas saw advice from joseph campbell about yeah, how to make construct a story gotcha. but they made, a, they made whole, the whole construct was more of a military it's more like flash Gordon. yeah well yeah because i mean that's what lucas wanted to do is yeah. flash Gordon, and then they said he couldn't have the rights so he goes and makes star wars his own right you know i just i i want to meet the guy who when george lucas walked in and said okay so 20th century fox um you guys are going to help us make the movie can I have all the rights for like all the toys and like yeah, you I, can have the movie the guy, yeah you, you, because <laughs> I want to meet that guy because you know that guy it's like hey you see Bob at the end of the hall yeah, yeah. Bob was the dumb son of a bitch that actually said no no George we'll just take the movie because we know the movie's a flop you go ahead and cr- hold all your creative rights ooh, if you want to make toys who was it like Pete Best for the Beatles yeah, yeah I'm yeah. putting the band to get married <laughs> yeah no exactly <laughs> so because it's kind of like too much later they become big but I'm gonna quit the band again. Like I, I can't, I can't imagine like that guy sitting there and going and seeing like billions of dollars of toys, knowing that it's almost yeah. like because that's the movie where everyone realized, wait a minute, if we make a really cool science movie, we can sell merchandise. You know, and like I want the merchandise rights. You can, yeah, whatever with the movie. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's kind of like we need to make the movie to sell crap. So put as many aliens in that bar as possible, so we can turn them into action figures. Um, but no, that that's kind of like I I. Started like you know I love telling stories and so it was one of these things where you know very cliche kind of thing you yeah. get a video camera at the age of twelve you turn it on your friends listen to you and you make a movie and then all of a sudden you go wow this I like this a lot you know and um, and it wasn't until like you know and it was a borrowed camera because we couldn't I couldn't afford a real camera like I couldn't afford my own right. um, and so it was one of those things the smartest thing I think I've ever done and I'm really shocked that I actually came up with this at the age of like twelve but um, I was reading Premiere magazine like the magazine was like the oh the, one of the uh, movie magazines yeah it was yeah. like the movie magazine that you right, could the pick American, up yeah yeah that you could pick up anywhere like in any um, like Barnes and Noble or anything like that yeah. and I was reading an article about Jack Nicholson was doing the sequel. to to Chinatown called the two Jakes. Two Jakes yeah. And so I remember reading the article and basically he was talking a lot about what makes him, what he thinks makes a good director is a director that understands how the actor works. And because he himself is an actor that he can communicate with actors better as a director. And at 12 years old, I read this and I go, Oh, since there's no film schools for 12 year olds, 
I should probably start taking acting classes. And um, and so I begged my parents, you know, because we lived in this small, tiny town on the border of Pennsylvania and West Virginia. And my parents would drive me 40 miles north into Pittsburgh where I'd take these acting classes. That's so it'd nice. be like in a Edina, you know, um, which right. is always really funny because we would be rolling in and just like, beat up Chevy Chevette and just very poshy kind of oh and like nothing is <laughs> nothing is funnier is like yeah. and and the kids that I went to class with were great you know but they would be rolling in with BMWs not their parents BMW their BMW their, their, you know right. yeah. <laughs> you know and so you're this kid who's already got this complex that you basically are technically a West Virginia no when you when you work out of school and the kids have better cars than, than you, you yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah yeah and, and that even happens today in college and i like i've got some students that are rolling in with like bmws and i'm like how i'm not even gonna ask i'm not even gonna get angry um but uh but yeah yeah i was gonna mention you because you mentioned the two jakes and i have a little bit of phil a little bit of history if you didn't know well the first movie is chinatown yeah yeah with uh Polanski, yeah uh, jake uh, jake gilts or whatever yeah and he's investigating water corruption of water mm -hmm. in, in california the what i think the two jakes is real estate and then they were going to make a third one. And oh, the really? third one was about a highway going through a town. And it was going to be called Chinatown 3. Wow. And But could they have Chinatown 2 or whatever. Yeah. Like, the script got tossed around. Eventually, I think Warner Bros. took it and flipped it and made it Who Made Roger Rabbit. The original script for wow. Chinatown 3 about a highway going through a town and everybody's getting, <laughs> and all the crooked was the, the script who, who for... Frame right, I mean... Instead, it makes instead sense. Of, yeah, instead of a town, it's Toontown. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, that's the funniest and thing. And the is, detective that, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, the detective that hangs around with Roger uh, yeah, was going to um, be- Bob Hoskins. Yeah, Bob Hoskins. Yeah. That was going to be Jake. That was going to be Jack Nicholson's character. How- that see that I didn't know that's awesome. Can you yeah. imagine you're walking in the room going, okay, guys, so we got the script for the third Chinatown movie. And like, what do we do? What do we do? Well, we're gonna put cartoons in it. You know, and <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be an animated rabbit. And um, there's this guy down the hall that's working on this movie called Back to the Future. And we think that he. I mean, yeah, that's. The, I mean, the judge is gonna be the bad guy. Yeah, right? yeah, we're gonna have Christopher Lloyd and everything's gonna. You know, but, but see, you watch and you're like, this is totally is a Chinatown thing. Yeah, no, I mean, and see, that's the great thing is that you you look at like kind of going back to story and everything. It's it's yeah. like, you know, where you you take something like Chinatown yeah. and that third story of like a highway going through a town and you go, OK, what's your spin on it? Well, we're putting the highway through a, um, uh, you know, through a cartoon. town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like an anime. Like I've got a script called Dead Men that, um, you know, for a while we had uh, we had John Carpenter attached as an executive producer and um, it was it was awesome. And the whole pitch of Dead Men is zombie apocalypse happened. We won. And after eliminating 99% of them, the last 1%, uh, we cut open to find that a fungus that grows in their brain cures cancer. So now oh, these no. are the most prized possessions in the United yeah. States. If you saw one in your backyard, you're not going to kill it. You're going to call the authorities or these guys that are called dead men that yeah. are going to come in like garbage or garbage men or dog catchers and get this thing off your property and you're going to get a hefty reward. And it's one of those things, again, you're yeah. thinking about zombies, and you're like, well, in the, the George Romero world, and what do zombies always say? And when they always say brains, you know? And you're like, well, what if we want their brains? Why would we want their brains? Yeah. You know? And you just go down that rabbit hole of that, the what if, what if, what if, what if, and then you, and, and anytime the answer is something you've seen before, you 
turn to, and you go on a different path. Yeah. And it was one of those things like, what would make you, society not kill these things and keep these things around? What's the one thing that we would probably go back on our principles something for? Something that would benefit us. Yeah, yeah totally benefit yeah. Yeah. If, if The cure for cancer? Fuck yeah, you know? I mean, <laughs> right, you know? Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, you've now got this completely new set of problems because now... You know, in, in, in the script, they're like in a, um, uh, it's like a mixture between a um, cattle ranch and a maximum security prison. And we treat the zombies like great white sharks. Like you can't keep a great white shark in captivity. See, I like the concept with zombies is who who's the monster? It's always projected. Who's the monsters in the story? Are yeah. we here, how we treat them? Or, yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. the interesting thing about zombies, and it's funny because I was talking to Paul Metzger, our, our composer that we had for uh, Frostbite, about like, you know, you think about zombies. They're the dumbest of all the monsters that you face. They're right. slow. They're so right, just put a treadmill in your house. Yeah, <laughs> there's no reason why these things should beat us. But the reason they beat us is our own humanity and our own empathy. Because if I saw my brother coming through the front yard and my brother's a zombie, but to everybody else he's a zombie. But to me, that's my brother. I can't shoot him. And, and I can't pull the trigger on him. He doesn't, he's a mindless eating machine. He doesn't give a shit. He's going to come up to me and just start attacking me. Yeah. But me, on the other hand, I can't pull the trigger. And so it's my own empathy. It's my own humanity that is the weapon that a zombie, and the zombie doesn't know this. No. And, and so, like, it was funny because at one point, like, I had a conversation with John about this. And John was like, why do they win? And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, why do, why, or why do we win? Why did we win? And I'm like, why did we win one? He goes, why did we win against the zombies? And my answer, which is sad, is like, because we don't give a shit anymore, you know? And um, because, you know, I honestly think, and this is the this is where the poli-sci guy major comes in. Sure, yeah. Is um, I think that if there was actually a zombie apocalypse right now, um, I think there would be a, a maybe 15 or 20% of people would actually be kind of excited about it. You yeah. know, and go, some people were like, "Yes, I," or the, the the "I told you, I told you, crowd." Well, it's, I, yeah, I, I get, told you, I get yeah. to do something that I'm not allowed to do. I mean, it's indulgences. That's it, the other thing about. I think people is the indulgences and the freedoms. Yeah, bit. and it's just like you just see how people treat one another nowadays. And like, if you don't agree with my politics, or if you don't agree with my, you're my enemy. It's not. It's not that we have a difference of opinion. It's all oh, you're on the other side. So clearly, you are against me. You know, yeah, and the that. adversarial kind of thing. And so, and 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 that's what, and and you know, and that's when I give that answer. It's a really depressing answer because it's like the only way that we could win is if we didn't care who that person was and like that we didn't care that that used to be a human being and it's like ah shit headshot I don't care you know um, and it's you know you look at like The Walking Dead or you look at some of these where it's like 20 years into the future where all humanity has been stripped out and so now it's you are in the survival mode you know and it's like the whole core of uh, on or um, uh, the um, uh, um, God I'm, I'm blanking on the film uh, The Road you know, it's like, you know, it's yes, yes, Cormac. Yes. Yeah. Um, it is basically that whole concept of like eating a person and killing his son. You know, and it's like, how far are you willing to go to survive? And there's certain lines that you can't cross because once yeah. you cross that line, you're no longer a human tech. I mean, technically you are, but right. you know, spiritually you're not, you know, <laughs> it's funny that we cited two Cormac McCarthy books. <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. Yeah. If Cormac McCarthy was listening to this and he doesn't listen to anything, he lives in the woods, you know, and like, just leave me alone. You know, one um, of the most uh, exhausting thing was reading blood Meriden. 
Blood Meriden? Yeah. I, that I, was I, a, it's extensively exhausting to read. It's like climbing Mount Everest. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, fascinating. I mean, the characters are very, I mean, he writes some very disturbing people. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love The yeah. Road. I mean, it, but the interesting yeah. thing about The Road is uh, earlier when we were saying give the people names. He yeah. doesn't. No. It's, it's Papa and the boy, right. you know, and he never gives them an actual identity, you know, but yet still it's so goddamn fascinating. You're like reading that yeah. book. I, I loved it. Yeah. I like, do you still read books? I try to. It, right. It's like, you know. Uh, Are you kind of, I, I'm kind of like, if I like the movie, I'll do the book. You know, it, it, it's that or, you know, sometimes what I'll, if someone hands me a book and goes, I think you'll like this, sure. um, you know, and it's funny because I, I this is really embarrassing, but it's true. Like I was never a big reader when I was in school. I mean, I read comic books, um, but I, you know, it I wasn't. Read, I would rather let's go see the movie. Yeah, no, no. I mean, the first yeah. book that I picked up, I read and went, "Oh my god!" Like, and I just finished it in a day and a half. And I couldn't believe I finished a book in a day and a half. Was Ender's Game? Like, I thought this is the greatest story I've ever read in my life, you know? And then the next day I go to the store and pick up uh, Speaker for the Dead and I read that in three days. And then I go pick up Xenophobia, which is the third book and read it. And, and then I stopped reading halfway through cause it was not very good. But, um, uh, yeah. but I, um, it's one of those things like even like I'm, you know, I, uh, you know, I was just in North Carolina like about a week and a half ago and I'm in the airport. And I'm like, I should I should buy a book, you know, <laughs> like, you know, it's it's one of those things where you, you know, and, and then I'm like, I should buy a book and actually read it, not yeah. just walk around with the book in my hand. So I'm like, yeah. look at me. I'm an intellectual. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I am um, I bought catch that you don't know anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And then the book that I buy, because it's a project that I'm kind of playing around with right now is um. Uh, not this actual book because you can't option the rights to this book because the writer is like, no, you're not allowed to use. Is Catcher in the Rye, and so um, and and basically because I'd never read it even in high school, like we they, that was not a required reading. Okay, and so it was for me. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 And, you know, it's funny. Like you know, I went to this uh, very um, farming community kind of high school, and I don't ever remember them saying you have to read Catcher in the Rye. I think that if I would have read that book in high school, I think that would have really, I would have, I would have really just soaked that up just because yeah. the writing is very, um, it's very raw and, and, and it, it moves really fast. I mean, that book is a quick read. And so that's kind of like the last book that I read. Um, and his aspirations. Then yeah. He, Cause the title's like, what the heck? Then you yeah. realize aspirations are. And it's funny because you know, it's like, boy, is that a male chauvinistic book, you know? And, and you know, <laughs> You read it and, you know, because uh, there's a project that I, you know, I can't really talk too much about it because I always am afraid to curse my projects when I talk about it too much. But um, uh, what interests me about Catcher in the Rye is not so much um, the book itself, but the, the, how it inspired, uh, you know, the uh, assassination on John Lennon. It inspired the assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan. And then I am blanking on the actress who was actually murdered. Uh, back in the mid 80s or late 80s where the killer had read Catcher in the Rye. So yeah. it was like Catcher in the Rye. It was almost like there was a frequency that some people would read this book and take it literally like, take it literally. Yeah. And, and it inspired them to do something horrific. And I thought, you know, and and so I wanted to read that to see if like, yeah. do, could I pick up that frequency? I mean, not, not that I want to do anything horrible, but I mean, 
like what it, what are these people reading and seeing in this book yeah. that is causing them to do x y and z and you know um and then it goes in these big philosophical conversations where i'm sitting there with like with my friends or my girlfriend we're talking about like if you knew that you were going to create a comic book that yeah. would inspire someone to walk into a grocery store and kill 12 people here's the question would you actually would you Finish the comic book, and that's fascinating. Cause you know, yeah. Are you responsible for their interpretation? Totally. Or? You know. Okay. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, okay. So you write the comic book, yeah. um, and then you inspire this this guy in Columbus, Ohio, to shoot his neighbor. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe it was just something wrong with that guy. So we're not going to put the blame on you. But now let's say a guy in Sacramento reads your comic book and he too kills his neighbor. You know, now all of a sudden it's now we're starting to look at you a little bit more, you right, know, yeah. and then three other people across the country, they too go out and kill their next door neighbor. Now all of a sudden we're looking at the author, looking at the creator and going, there's something here, man, that maybe you didn't even realize you were creating that is sending this signal out to certain people that are, you know, it's like, you know, Charles Manson with Helter Skelter, you know, and it's, listen to that song. Oh, you want me to, right, yeah. you want me if I if you play it backwards or do whatever you want. Oh, it's and, and you know, and the and uh, or Hitler reading Darwin. Oh, natural selection. Yeah. Oh, I, and, okay. so 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 it, the, the yeah. fascinating thing to me is. Like if I was in a time machine, like uh, you know, and, and this is this is crazy talk. But if I went back in time and I sat there with, um, like you know, um, uh, with Salinger, and went, "Hey, how's the how's the book going?" You know, <laughs> and he's like, "Well, it's good. I've got like only two more chapters, and this Holden Caulfield, you know, he's a character." And you're like, "Okay, so here's the deal. When you finish this book, um, there's going to be an attempted uh, assassination on the on the what forty first president or fortieth or third yeah, so I, I forget what Reagan was. Um, uh, um, uh, you know, so there'll be an assassination attempt on Reagan's life um, that you someone inspired. Um, there's another great artist. His name's John Lennon, who happened to be in this band called the Beatles. You don't really know about them yet, but they are going to be the biggest band to ever, you know, um, to ever exist. Um, and he's going to be murdered because this guy read the book and he was inspired. And then yeah. this one actress. So how's the book coming along? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then the question yeah, that goes, oh, do I finish this thing? Or, you know, like, because then it, it's just, it's a, it's, there's no right or wrong. But it's just this really fascinating thing of like, you know, what responsibility does a creator or someone who's telling a story have? And if they notice that maybe something that I am creating is causing X, Y, or Z, you know, it's like uh, Oppenheimer. Do I give you the formula to the nuclear bomb or do I burn it? You know, because if I burn it, I'm protecting the essence of what I was trying to create because now it's like Frankenstein. You know, I don't want you to, ha I don't want to unleash yep. the monster, you know, so I need to destroy it even though I loved creating it. So then the question is, are you obsessed with being known as the creator or were you just obsessed with creating it? Yeah. Does that make sense? You know, it's right. There is like a little bit of, especially when I'm doing my own story, there's a sense of, God, I like process. Yeah, that's it. I don't want to end this, right? Yeah, Some people yeah. just love the process. And, and it is, you get to the reality, like, this is going to be done pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. And then I want to go back to that. I love the process of yep. it. I think people get trapped in that whole get in the process well I, I think people are always looking for the end game you know sure. like if someone walked up to me and said look dude here's the deal you are going to live till I'm hoping like I'm in my 80s you're not going to make any money on this 
Um, you know, there's not going to be any fame. There's not going to be any of this shit. It's just going to be, but every day you're going to get up and you're going to work on a little script and then you're going to go out and you're going to make a little movie every, every like seven or eight months, you're going to make a little couple projects and every once in a while you'll do a feature and, and you're going to be teaching. And so you're going to be immersed in the, what you love to do, right? but you're not going to be, you know, um, Kubrick, right? Yeah. Um, so here's the question. You still want to do it? You know? And, and, and my answer is Fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> if I get to play every day because I don't consider what I do as work, I consider it play, then yeah. I'm happy. You know, um, because I, I too, I love when people ask me, like, what's your best, your favorite part about directing or working in film? And I'm like, all of it, you know, because I get to play in the sandbox with the sound designers. I get to play in a sandbox with actors. I get to play in a sandbox with the cinematographers. I get to play in everybody else's sandbox yeah. and, 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 you know, and create something. And to me, that's the joy, you know, um, I'm not the the thing that I, the only pro part of the process that I hate for filmmaking is standing in front of that fucking rap at a film festival getting your picture taken, you know, or you know, um, or going into like I love being in a dark theater and watching the back of people's heads watch the stuff that I made. Like I love sure. that, sure. but that red carpet shit or that like that you know I never dress up for just that. There's because yeah. it's my least favorite part. You can, you can actually when you watch. Oscars, you can tell who's uncomfortable doing it. Yeah, it's you can like, just tell them it's like God, I hate this. Yeah, you can tell the person that's like my agent tells me that I have to be here because uh, I need one pop in my brain is Heath Ledger. You can tell him he's just oh, like, yeah. You can just tell I I really don't want to do you this. You know, it's like or even someone like looking at someone like Joaquin Phoenix who doesn't even watch the movies that he's in. Right. And to me, I go, I totally get that because you're in, you're doing this because of the process. You love being there on set and being in that moment, whatever that yeah, character yeah. is, yeah. that's what you love doing. The going to the premiere and smiling and getting your picture taken and you know, all that, that's all bullshit. Granted, sometimes you have to do that. You right, gotta, by contract. <laughs> yeah, because you know, it, it's kind of like, it's one of those things where, you know, well, I mean, like, um, I was gonna think, like Christian Bale doesn't do talk shows. Yeah, yeah. So you never hardly, you only ever see my Jamie Fallon and he yeah. puts that in his contract. I'm, I'll do your movie. Yeah. I'm not doing the PR. Yeah, I, I mean, I might do the EPKs where I'm in the hotel and different reporters come in, but right. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to be on like Jimmy Fallon doing like well, some he, crazy. I agree bit. with him, and the people can never. The people have a lot of polarizers, but he's like, I'm, I'm awkward with that. He goes, I'm socially awkward with it. Yeah, you don't. You go, people don't believe it because he's an actor, right? Yep, yep. But he goes, I, I, I fumble. I, I'm, I'm stupid. Obviously, everybody recorded me having an outburst and set. So well, that DP <laughs> deserved it, you know. So uh, let's just. You know, when, when, because yeah. I mean, there is nothing more frustrating. Like, because, and I'll be very, uh, even like today, like one of my students was doing a shoot and I was there and, um, and I was actually acting in the scene. So I had my little mini. Uh, oh, your part. Okay. My, yeah. So this, my, my student went, Hey, would you mind acting in this scene? You're just going to be this guy that this guy bumps into. And, uh, we're trying to block out the scene. And somebody just kept like, uh, and they basically were like interrupting what we were trying to do. And I, and I li literally said, Hey, guys. Let us do the scene so everyone can see how the scene is going to unfold. And then after you see how the scene is playing out, then you can ask a million questions. But if you're constantly being interrupted when you're just trying to go through it once to see how it plays, it's incredibly frustrating. Oh, so yeah. I can imagine 
I mean, Christian um, Bale is like a serious, heavy-duty, like internal actor. So this guy is probably sitting in his trailer, being in that John Connor moment for him to be able to get in front of that camera and have yeah. the confidence. So here you've got, you know, basically Shane Hubert, who is the DP on that, who keeps tweaking lights. And Bale just lost it because it's like I'm trying to fucking do my my Job, thing. Right, you yeah. keep tweaking this goddamn light, and and. And you know, and the sad thing is, is that you know, like a lot of people are probably hearing that and going, "God damn, oh, he's un- a spoiled, ungrateful yeah. sons of bitches." You know, yeah. he gets twenty million a movie, but it's like, look, if you want, it, it's it's kind of it's a total tangent, but it makes sense. It's the documentary that Jim Carrey did uh, with Man on the Moon, where they're talking oh, about yes. this process. Wonderful, documentary. it's a great documentary. I think if everybody realized process with that, movie, there it is. You yeah. know, and I remember, like in the documentary, he said, uh, you know, the first week that he was Kaufman on set and driving everyone crazy. And that weekend, and then he like really believed he had cancer. He, yeah, <laughs> and so Milos Forman, the director, calls him up that weekend and says, "Jim, are you going to be like this the whole, <laughs> the whole shoot?" And Jim Carrey goes, "Well, Milos, here's the deal: Do you want me to do an impersonation, or do you want me to be Andy Kaufman? Because I can do either one, mm-hmm. but what? Which one do you want?" And Milos was like, "I want Andy Kaufman." So it's like, okay in order for him to get to that point you right. need to let him be Kaufman on and off camera and that's going to be crazy madness but you're that's gonna, the person we're doing but you're yeah. like going back to using science and technology to t- technology to capture art your job as a director is to create and build the biggest fucking jar you can to capture that lightning when you're on set and so if I was in that situation and, you know, and you get someone like Jim Carrey that's going, look, Andy, here's the deal. Every day that I come to set, I need to be draped in rattlesnakes. It's my process. It's just how it works. Then I'm going to go to every single person on the crew and go, everyone wear thigh high leather boots, you know, and everyone wear like <laughs> gloves because I know that, you know, because no one's going to remember, you know, um, if some uh, no one's going to remember great lighting without a great performance. You know, um, you know, the reason why Roger Deakins is such an amazing cinematographer is the people that he has photographed, you know, and the people that he's worked with, like the Coens, uh, you know, the Coen brothers or or, you know, and so if you need that madness, you know, if you accept that madness on your set, you know, it's going to give you something that's going to be quite special. So that's why I'm, I'm always I'm very protective of actors because I think a lot of the times. The sad part is, is that most actors, um, you know, are given bullshit dialogue to read and, you know, and not a lot of strong direction. And, you know, and I think a lot of directors, younger directors are not very strong on how to work with actors. So actors are maybe a little skittish and everything. Yeah. Or they want the actor to perform for them rather than perform for the camera, which is a completely different approach. And what you don't realize at the end of the day, the audience is judging the actor first. You know, no, it was a big revel. And I'm, I'm not a movie maker myself, yeah, but no. it was a big discovery that a lot of actresses. You know, there's three three things: the set, me, and the camera. We're yeah. all working together. That's it. That's yeah. it. You know, and it's it's. But the problem is, is that the the gaffer and the grip and the director and the sound mixer and everyone they're safe because they're not being right. judged by a lens. You know, the only person that's being judged by a lens is that actor. That actor, it's like if you looked at it oh, like it, a seesaw, you'd have this one actor on one side of the seesaw and 25 people on the yeah. other side, you know? And that actor... That was a great caption on the movie, in the movie MASH, where they pull the shower curtain for hot lips. Yeah, yeah. And she's naked. Yeah. Where Robert, Robert Altman goes, we're all going to do it. We're all naked, <laughs> that's right? right? That's so, how it works, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's, we're all, it's all family. If she's going to be... We're all we're all gonna do it. Yeah, she, they didn't tell her. So when they dropped it, that's her face. She's like, 
Oh my god. <laughs> that's great. That's and see to yeah. me that yeah. that's that's the kind of leadership that a director should have is yeah. going that, you know, um because that actor feels so alone in front of that camera because there is nobody there to help them, you know, and, and, and your it's, job. It's, it is. It's a, your open nerve. Totally. And especially like, you know, one of the most talented, most amazing actresses in town is Rachel Weber. And I think that she is just uh, an amazing actress and she is able to tap into things and deliver things where, and it's so funny because, you know, and I joke with her and I imitated her in front of her um, because <laughs> She has a very, she, yeah. She has a very like um, technical. Like, I'll go, Rachel. Okay, I need you to look over here, and then look here, and then look over here, and then here's where you have your breakdown. And she goes, Okay, so Andrew, so I'm looking here, and then I'm gonna look over here, and then finally I'm gonna end here, and here's where I have my nervous breakdown. Yeah, she's like, Got it. You know, like almost like building a, a table lamp, you know, or, uh, you know, or like an Ikea lamp or something. And then we roll the camera and then she does it. And you're going, how the hell can, you? I mean, you take this technical direction in and then when we roll the camera, you, um, you internalize it and you make it this emotional roller coaster and you deliver something that is just like, how the hell did you just, like, I gave you directions on how to build an Ikea lamp and you turned around and made like, you know, this insane, cool, like Jackson Pollock painting out of it. And it, it blows me away. Do you like to do prep before movies? Um, I prep the shit out of movies um, when it comes to the logistics, you know, okay. uh, from everything from the cinematography to the production design, wardrobe. We're constantly, I'm constantly looking for problems because I kind of justify that every prep, you can't prep enough. And you only know how much preparation you've done in a movie when you're on it and you realize, oh my God, I didn't think about that. Or, oh my God, we forgot this. Or, oh, did we need that? You know, and then the time starts to eat up. And what happens is, you know, like we even had this today. Then you lose a lot of the capture intensity, right? Yeah, you, you, so you kind of look at, you only have so many takes, so many shots and so many setups and so many scenes that you could do in a day. So you have to ask yourself the question, like even like today, my students were like, oh, we want to do a tracking shot towards this restaurant. But the one student's got a Ronin at home. If we get in the car and drive and get the Ronin and come back, will uh, it'll take about an hour and a half to two hours well, yeah, and so outside I, the, and the, the question is are you willing to sacrifice two hours of your day and sacrifice all these different takes shots and possibly a setup for that decision so you look at it when you go into a set you're like okay every decision that you make is going to take away a take from you so if you go, man, I really don't like how this lighting is going to work. We need to tear the lighting down and relight. Okay, well, you relight. That's going to take maybe five or six takes away from you. It might take away a shot. If someone screws up royally over here, that might be a setup. You know, if someone royally screws up, that's a scene. So you, you know, so when a student screws up on one of my student shoots, yeah. I don't go, man, you screwed up. I go, you took three takes away from that director. Like you took a camera angle away from that director. Like because yeah. you forgot this piece of equipment or forgot to charge the battery, you took a scene away from this director today. So so you understand that like everything is about like when you're on a film set, it's like it's the same thing as like, um, you know, going across the Antarctic. Like everything there is trying to kill you. 
You know, everything on a film yeah. set is trying to stop you from making a movie. Well, you know? I, I I don't know if you, you don't know you know, but I used to officiate football, okay. football for twenty years. Yeah, yeah. And everything, you know, everybody has that idea they're always against you, but you're hired to do a job. Yeah. The guy in the white cap hired you to work your area. Yeah. Yep. And you better know the. He didn't. He didn't ask you or quiz you the rules. You better know the rules. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you screw up. We all look bad. Right? No, totally, totally. No, exactly, exactly. You could blow a. I'm on the sideline, and you can blow a call for that team. I didn't make the call, but we all look bad. And who's going to get the earful? Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this: yeah. going completely on officiating, because you also yeah. umpired baseball as well, correct? I umpired for one year uh, softball. Okay, so let me ask you. Yeah, a lot of you, those games are by yourself too. How do you feel about about the slow motion of the the um, uh, instant of the replay in baseball? Because you know, for the longest time, you couldn't. There was no replay, right? Or because right. it, it, yeah. it's well, there's two different schools of thought. One yeah. of them is work harder. Yep. Because you're on camera. Yeah. Work harder, and a lot of these officials actually are doing a much better job because they know you're going to take time away to research it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But also they want to get the right call. Yeah. No. I always talk about that. We, we coach, we'll take five minutes away from the game, but we'll make sure we'll get the right call. Well, because I mean, yeah. if anyone has played football or played a sport, especially football, yeah. it's chaos in there. Like, I, I mean, I'm five, eight and a half. I like to yeah. round up to nine, uh, five, nine. But, but it's um, also about flow, right? Because yeah. if a team's down 48 nothing and that whole, the losing team is everybody's holding. Yeah. Are you going to call it? Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's, I mean, but I, <laughs> yeah. I look at it as like, you know, when I was playing football, it was all chaos. When that yeah. ball was snapped, man, it was chaos. It you is know? chaos. And, right. you know, and so I'm imagining how, for me, just me <clears throat> in that world, surrounded by <clears throat> guys that are trying to block me or running back that's trying to get past me yeah. or anything, um, they're like, how can you as an as a ref stay calm and be make, calm and, and and it's not just you're you're watching one person move you're watching 20 what there's 11 on each side so you're watching yeah. 22 people in this chaotic frenzy move for about eight seconds i'll give you a hint yeah never watch the football okay don't ever watch the football really I never watch the football football's lying to you watch the players a lot of people it's hard it's okay you don't watch the ball that's why a fumble takes a long time because we're watching. You will tell everybody will. Every, it's very obvious when it's a fumble because they go nuts, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, lose ball. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's... And, and then you and then you think about where the ball is. But okay, you never watched a football. I I used to help officials. I yeah, used to new new guys, and I could tell you right now they're watching the ball because I go that guy just punched another guy. Where were you? Yeah, I didn't see it. It's right in front of you. <laughs> I didn't see it. Yeah. Because you're watching the football. Because you're watching the football. And I tell people when I come to my house to watch sports, try not watching the football. It's a different game. It's weird. Well, it's yeah. almost like a magic trick. Like, you know, yeah. like I'm, I'm watching the, the shiny object in my right hand because what my left yeah. hand is doing is setting up the next trick or the next part of the yeah. trick, you know. But I need you to look at my right hand. Or if not, if you look at my left hand and see what I'm doing, yeah. then you're like, oh, I know how this trick is done. You, you know, know, and the boring thing is I used to, the if we want to talk a little bit about it. But yeah, absolutely. Um, umpiring in yeah. football where you be right where the linebackers are. Okay, yeah, yeah. And you're watching the big guys. Yeah. That to me is the most boring position because all you're watching is the three guys in the middle of the game. Okay. That's your job. You okay. don't watch anything else. There could be really? a touchdown because you got to make sure everything's clean the entire time. So okay. you're sitting maybe watching five guys for the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah. look at, cause then, then, yeah. uh, so when you're watching the line, right? Right. 
Can you tell, like, as they're jogging out to for the first play, can you say that right guard, he's gonna, that's the guy who's gonna jump. Like, I, 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 could, is, I could tell for twenty years, I can tell who's gonna pull. Really, just from their stance yeah, yeah, for twenty okay. years, or who's what if it's a passing play? Because I could just watch their feet and know yeah. if they're planted parallel. Yeah, they're it's a passing play because you could just tell the way everybody comes up to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can tell when it's a running play. A lot of times, it's you know it's a running play because the running back checks his hands, <laughs> make sure they're dry. Yeah, it's yeah. just the little cues. If you do something for so long, like a movie or something, you just pick up right away. Yeah, yeah. You know it's a running play. You know it's a passing play when the wide receiver is just doesn't. He comes up the line. He's he's focused. Yeah. You know, it, if it's a running play, he just looks back like, ah, when <laughs> no, are you gonna snap it? It makes so much sense because if yeah. you're a running back or if you know that you there's a there's a very good chance that you're gonna get the ball, you're gonna make sure. Okay, I gotta make sure my hands are not slippery. I gotta make sure that they're dry. And and you don't even. And for me, if like if I'm a cornerback and, and I'm watching a wide receiver going, he's not rubbing his hands at all. He's not doing anything. This is a running play. Yeah. You know. And so um, oh, yeah. that's fascinating because that's I mean, and the same thing is like, can you tell when you know um you know because I think body it's language, all about viewing, right? Yeah. And I, I encourage actually I encourage train people who do fishing, watch movies. Don't watch the movie. Look around. Pick up on cues. And watch a physicality. Physicality, you know? right? Because I would you imagine miss so much if you just watch the middle. Yeah, I think people watch too much of the middle in a movie. So can you like? Okay, so another thing is that so you watching the teams and you've seen all the teams come out on the field. Can you yeah. tell just by how they're carrying themselves who's probably going to win the game? Yeah, whoever has who's going to win the game has the least attractive trainer. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's especially, great especially for high school if you yeah. have a hot female attractive trainer they're always going to be hurt <laughs> i'd rather have like some east german oh your shoulders <laughs> out i'll pop that baby back that's in. that's so it's basically it's because i mean you know my my dad would tell me because you know where i grew up like we grew up right on the um uh you know um right on the border between pennsylvania and west virginia and then yeah. right down the road was a, was a dog track you know yeah. and so my dad would tell me how this guy would come in and look at the the, the dogs that are racing that day and you know what did this dog eat and like every, <laughs> everyone's trying to figure out like yeah. what like because you know or my favorite was once i was um, doing a documentary when I was like 22 years old in tractor pulling and we were interviewing we were going down to this track where they were yep. doing horse pulls and I'm interviewing this guy who is telling me and this guy sound like Gomer Pyle and you know and I'm asking him I'm like is there secrets to a good horse and he's like oh yeah it's all about bowel movements mm -hmm. and this guy went on for like 10 minutes about if the horse shits at a per specific time right. during the day that's going to be your winner and so you know and so i'm always like looking like what's the tell you know what i mean so like okay if this horse shits at 9 30 odds are that's your first place horse right there you're pulling horse so it's like almost like looking at football and you're going okay is there is there the like there's like uh, you know, there's a 65 percent chance that this team's gonna win because their trainer Basically, you know, is someone who is, is is not very attractive and looks like he or she is like all business, you yeah. know. So <laughs> that, that's yeah. interesting. It's it's after doing it for so many times, you can just tell how it's going to go down. Yeah, you yeah. just tell, right? And it's just how the slow that how the process of the game is going to go. Yeah. I could tell it in the first five minutes how it's going to go. Really? Yeah. I, I, that's I, a long time for five minutes in the game. I could tell you how. It's oh, yeah, I mean, because yeah. what I think is really funny is that you look at the first like quarter and the first quarter blows by. Like you know, as a viewer watching on television, the first quarter is like no one's 
taken. No one cares about time. You know, they just like, it's like. And the other thing I always, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, go for it. I always look for the center. If the center has, for the football team, yeah. has control of the huddle, brings a ball in, has everything shipped down, that's, it's going to be a fantastic offense. Really? If there's if the center doesn't know what he's, he's sloppy and everybody's kind of in and in. Yeah. It's yeah. Forever. But the center's like, here's the football, sir. And he hands out there. They march out there. You know, and I go, well, this play is going to be big because he's got control, right? They have a team gel to it. Yeah. Yeah. I you mean, because he, the, the quarterback is always the one that's got the, you know, is the flash and same with the, the running backs and your center. No, your center is the first person is the first person that touches that ball. It's like, I'm yeah. delivering, I have to deliver you the package, you know? Right. And um, no, that, that totally if makes that sense. center has heart and everybody else is going to have it too. If yeah. we talk about quarterback, I think setter brings it to him. Well, yeah. it's like, you know, in Pittsburgh, yeah. Mike Webster, like, is like, we all hail Mike Webster, you know, as, you know, one of the greatest centers of all time. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. The, the cool thing about Pittsburgh is that even the hipsters love the Steelers. You know, there is like nobody in Pittsburgh, like, you know, that, you know, like here in Minnesota, it's like you hear some people go, I don't like the Vikings. I'm more of a Packers guy, you know? And then, you know, yeah. in Pittsburgh, there is no like, I don't like the Steelers. I like the Browns or I like the Ravens. No, everyone is like. Yeah, and that, from this, from even over here, you can just kind of tell that's the way it is. It, yeah, it's yeah. just like absolute, you know, like they're, they're, they, you know, it's I, I was doing this police training video once and one of the officers was an ex-NFL player yeah. and the guy played for the Bengals, Browns and the Steelers. And, you know, and the other cop, you know, is, 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 was a local from Minneapolis and they're having this conversation back and forth. And, and the guy, uh, Terry, I'm blanking on his last name. It was the the he was a tight end. And he said, no, the Pittsburgh was the, the best team ever to play for. He goes, because after we would get our ass kicked because he was playing during the the years when Steelers weren't weren't good at all and he's like i would run we would run back into the locker room and as we were running into the locker room you would hear the people in the fa in the stands go we'll get him next time you know like it wasn't like you suck get out of the game you know or throwing like beer or anything at him it was like the Steelers fans were like no it's all right we'll get him we'll get him we'll right. get him next time you know and he's like I, I then I play for the Bengals. I'm running the locker room after we got our ass kicked. You suck. You should get fired. You're <laughs> awful. Same with the Browns. And yeah. he like looks at the cop and looks at me. And goes, no. It's like there are no better fans in the world of of, of football than the um, Steelers fans because they're like they appreciate what they have. Yeah. Every when's the last time you've been back? Just Pittsburgh. Um, it's been probably about a year, a year nice. and a half. Yeah. And um, and I I just you know it's a. Uh, it's one of those towns that I couldn't wait to get out of when I was a kid because I, I moved. And to, now you want to go there. And now it's 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 the interesting thing is that you know when I moved out of Pittsburgh and I went to New York City, I'm like oh, it's all about New York, and I love New York, and I lived there for five years, and then I bounced all over the place. Like my parents now live in North Carolina, and you know I live here in Minnesota, yeah. and I feel like I stick out like a sore thumb here a little bit because of the uh, of uh, it's different, right? Yeah, and it's and it's not it's funny because I have like this love hate relationship with Minnesota where it's like I like to fit in, but at the same time I kind of like that I'm a little different, <laughs> you know, outside, you, right. you know, and okay. so. Um, but I love, you know, but I do love when I go back to Pittsburgh and I hang out with the folks in Pittsburgh, the one thing that I really like about Pittsburgh and is, um, they are the first, they, everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. Okay. They're yeah. not aggressive, like New York opinions. Like they won't force their opinion on you. Right. Um, but they'll give you your opinion, their opinion about everything. Politics, sports. You don't even ask for it. Here don't it even ask for it. You go outside to have a cigarette and you'll, in 20 minutes, you'll have five best friends. So they're amazing. <laughs> But the thing that I love the most about Pittsburgh is how 
Like they will give you the most opinionated answer about something. And then at the end of the answer, they'll go, but who the fuck am I? I just make tires for a living, you know? So, and, and that's why I just, I love how humble and, and how like they will, you know, they will give you an honest answer how they feel, but then they'll go, but that, but I know that I don't know everything and I don't know everything about yeah, this topic. Yeah. So what the hell do I know? But they're telling you how they feel about it. And, you know, and so you look at it and like, it's not the most intellectual town, it, it, but it's a town that I think like they feel if that makes sense. Like it they does. don't pretend yeah. with Minnesota again, I, you know, the work ethic in this town and this environment is amazing. But sometimes when I have a difference of opinion, you know, and that passive aggressive kicks in on somebody that I'm working with, I'm like, no, 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 I don't want the passive aggressive. I want the aggressive, you it's know, hard for us, isn't it? It kind of, I mean, it is, right? but at the same time, it's hard for me to shut up clearly as we've gone <laughs> this podcast. Yeah. So the, you know, yeah. and, no, and it's hard for Minnesotans because we're very much right. You know, well, it's, it's like, yeah. I don't want to hurt your feelings. And no, it's like, yeah. you're not going to hurt my feelings, you know, go for it, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, but at the same time, we, we, we had a, we have a person yeah. from our school. He came from the East coast and he's like, I'm still not used to you. This nice, I think you guys are still scheming me. <laughs> well, I feel I feel the same way when I'm down south, right? They're like, "Well, how are you doing, darling?" I'm yeah. like, "You picked my pocket, you know. You yeah, like, yeah. You where, like that? Where's my ring? My ring on? That right. southern charm is like you're there's, you know. And so it's um, but no, I think the thing is, is that you know the the, the coolest thing is what I find with this this area is once you make a friend, like a real like a connection, like. I understand why now people go, oh, these are my friends from high school or college, and we're yeah. still friends 25 years later. And I go, yeah, that's shit, still- I don't have any friends that I grew up with, you know, that I'm around. Um, and the, the loyalty is, is, is quite amazing, you know, um, and is incredibly impressive. Um, uh, and yeah, it's just, but it, it's just different. Like everywhere you go, you're going to meet, like, I love New Yorkers. Like I love just the, like, I love in the matter of the first 30 seconds of a conversation, you might be called an asshole, you know? And, and I, there's something I love about that yeah. because the guy's like, oh, you're an asshole for thinking the jets are, are, are no good or whatever. But I, but I do, I be, I, I do appreciate the, I'm not going to wait your time I'm going to give you the truth or I'm going to give you my truth and we're going to do it right now you know and I'm not going to wait three days and so you're either going to like me in the first 30 seconds or you're going to go okay see ya and you're going to walk away but we're going to establish things very quickly no I yeah you know yeah yeah. Yeah. so it's 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 a very I mean every culture and every area in the you know in the in the country has got their own you know goods and bads and, and difference you know and so it's just kind of embracing each one all right, Andrew. We had a great time, man. Yeah, no, this, this is, is great. Fun. Yeah, we have to do it again. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, what's new adventure for uh, Frostbite? Um, well, Where's it go? It's going. Well, to- yeah, we 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 did really well at the fifty fifty screening. That's right. Um, yeah, you did. It's yeah. I mean, so we're very very fortunate about that. Um, so right now, and we have a longer cut. So we um the, we screen the longer cut at the fifty fifty because for Z Fest we had to cut two minutes out of the movie okay. to get it to um Their seven minutes. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was some things that I felt like you know when you're cutting them and you're editing a movie, you feel like you're cutting fat. 
I feel that with the two minutes that we cut out for the Z Fest version, we cut like it was like flesh and bone. Like I feel like it was like which finger do I need to remove? You know. Um, uh, yeah. So we were able to put that back in, and right now um, we're going to be doing a big festival launch on it uh, and getting it out to. The great thing is by winning the fifty fifty, it's additional income, not income, but it's an investment where now I can look at like um, I mean we've got like about thirty five to. 50 different film festivals we want yeah. to submit it to. And what we're excited about is not just here in the United States, but all over the world because it's a silent, it's damn near a silent film. And so it can play in Tokyo, it can play in Germany, it can nice. play in New Jersey. Um, uh, all the different languages, you know, I, no, I always yeah. pick on New Jersey. Um, uh, and um, But yeah. just we to get it out some, there. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, Andrew. Well, um, if you know, it's not over till the guest says it's over. It's over. All right.